thank you, gentlemen. And as we watch technology flicker, I'm reminded of how fickle and how temperamental and how transient we are and, and also why we are grateful and thankful for the sureness of our God. And if I can also say, for the gathering, the physical gathering, many of you are like me, you like to have a hard copy in your hand, don't you? The reliability of touch and feel. So we're reminded in maybe just a a moment where we just give thanks. We give thanks to our great faithful God. And I should say as well, those that minister faithfully, as I see just the faithful servants back there looking to rectify that for us, so grateful they work so hard uh, so that we can minister our God. So we're grateful for them. Why don't you take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20 is where you will turn when you get there. Exodus chapter 20. If you are visiting with us, a warm welcome to you. It's good to see you here today and uh, I pray and trust you've been warmly welcomed already. Uh, If you do not have a Bible with you, look in the racks in front of you. You will see one there. You can follow along. The book of Exodus, second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 20. Well, it has been said that the right to the ownership of private property is a very important principle for the stability of any society. Let me say that one more time. The right to the ownership of private property is a very important principle for the stability of any society. And that is indeed true. Personal ownership and responsibility to respect ownership, and by that we mean yours and others, that is indeed the backbone to a healthy, fully functional community. Consider, for example, the first images, and maybe in your mind right now, what are the images that come on a screen or to your mind when you think of community breakdown. It is what? Looting. Stealing. Those symbols of anarchy mark the first hallmark of a community breaking down. Theft. Yes, the surest, the first uh, paramount sign of community unrest is indeed theft. Beloved, theft disrupts community. Theft destabilizes a community. Theft is the characteristic of what? Lawlessness. Theft breaks down, theft destroys. Thus, the protection of personal ownership is paramount to the protection of community. That is true, and so there should be no surprise that Scripture affirms that. This principle is most evident in God's law as revealed in Sinai through Moses. Consider the fact that stealing is one of the ten commands, the ten words of God. Stealing is so important to protecting community that it is here in the table. We'll see that today. It's right here in the second table of the ten commandments, remember, that outlines our relationships to others, our horizontal. We looked at the first four, which are our vertical, relationship to God first, and now here we're in 
the final six, our relationship with others. And here we find stealing. So look with me now at verse 15. As we pick up where we left off last time in our study, let's consider this verse. And the eighth commandment, the eighth word from God. It says this, you shall not steal. Father, that is your word. May we see it, understand it. May we receive this command from you today. And by your grace, Lord, may we go out and live it. For our good and community good, but for your glory we pray. In Christ's name, amen. God's law protects against theft in community. Consider these finer bits of the law. I want you to look at the next chapter, chapter 21, verse 16, the very next chapter. It says this, verse 16, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. We'll be there in the fall. And of course, the context there is slavery, but God's word is clear. Look at the next chapter after that, chapter 22, the opening verses, 1 to 4. It says this, If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. Some clear principle and, of course, instruction here, repayment, look at it, is more than a one-to-one transaction. Of course, we see that. And, in fact, what stands out is that if you can't repay, you must give up your life. In fact, you're sold, your life is sold. In fact, if in the act of theft you're struck dead, the text says that's okay. This is serious. We see the idea of repayment again. Go down to verse 7. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. There's the idea again of repayment. And again, the idea that this is serious. Westmount, this is just the beginning. We're barely removed from chapter 20 here. Barely removed. God's law actively states and works against stealing. And here it is, for the good of community. For the good of community. Again, protecting community God's way must include such a prohibition. And so here we have the eighth commandment, the eighth word outlining God's law. You shall not steal. Another concise command and another concise outline. And here we have two straightforward headings today. This is where we're going in this text this morning. Two straightforward headings. One, the reality of theft. And two, the remedy for theft. The reality of theft and the remedy for theft. So we begin as we have been with biblical definition and understanding. And that is our first heading. This is the reality of theft. And the first thing, as you look down at verse 15, the first thing that demands our attention in this command is what is not there. 
This command is missing an object. Many sentences have an object, and it's missing. Do you see that? And what do we mean by that? The command, the verse, the sentence is wide open. It doesn't say, for example, you shall not steal animals, you shall not steal people, you shall not steal goods, you shall not steal this, you shall not steal that. Do you notice it doesn't say that? It doesn't say that. Yes, some finer bits that we just looked at flowing out of the ten words define specific parameters of theft, but not here in the summative table, the Ten Commandments. Here, the overall law of God states broadly and definitively, you shall not steal, period. That means that our God by nature, by law, prohibits stealing, and here it is, of any kind. No stealing of any kind. That would be stealing of goods or people, stealing of the valuable or the trivial. This means stealing of anything, no matter what it is, is wrong in the sight of a holy God. This means, beloved, in God's economy, integrity and love of each other is shown by the ongoing respect of not taking what is rightfully another's. That's how you show love and respect. You don't take what is another's. Stealing, and here's your simple definition is taking something that does not belong to you, that is, taking something with intent, without permission, and claiming it as your own. That's theft. Of course, the essence of this command has threads, and you think back to last week in the seventh commandment. And what was that? You shall not commit adultery. Adultery is, at its heart, what? Stealing, that's what adultery is. Adultery steals what is not lawfully owned. Adultery, as we learned, violates marriage ownership. Genesis 2, 1 Corinthians 7. And if the offender is not stealing from another man or woman, they are ultimately stealing from who? The Lord. All men and women belong to him and That's an important reminder for this commandment as well. Stealing is indeed an offense against neighbor. Robbing private property from another, it is that. It disrupts community, but first and foremost, stealing is an offense against God. Stealing robs God. All things, the Bible says, are his. Note this, Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and all that fills it. The world and all those who dwell therein. All of this is his. Our sovereign God merely then has granted to us earthly ownership. And here it is, like stewards. Lest we fool ourselves thinking that we ultimately have possessions. We're just stewarding God's things. We we are charged to care for what is ultimately creator's. As such, stealing violates that arrangement. Stealing says, God, I don't like your arrangement. I want my own allocation. That's what stealing says. I don't like the way that you've moved things around and what you've given me, God. I don't like it. I want to allocate differently. That's what stealing says. Stealing says, God, you know, I know best, not you. That should be mine, not his, not hers. I'm not quite sure why you gave him that and why she's responsible for that, but I should have it. That's what stealing is. 
And do you see why this is such an affront to a holy God? And do you see how serious theft is? This assaults not just neighbor, but the very person of God. It violates the plan of God, his work, and his creation. That's why Proverbs 30 verse 9 says that to steal would be to profane the name of God. In Hosea 4, when the Lord accuses Israel of unfaithfulness, he says this, mark it. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is, and note these, swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They, so those things, break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Of course, those sins sound familiar. They are in summative form, right? The Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, or part of them. And when you break God's law, you break all bounds, and those are the ultimate bounds. And of course, bloodshed follows. When you break God's law, figuratively and often literally, bloodshed follows. Yes, bloodshed, that's what happens when you steal. It is the outcome of sin. And that should not take us aback, Westmount, the consequences of stealing this outcome of seeing something that is not ours. Here it is, seeing something that is not ours and then taking it. Seeing what's not ours and taking it. Stealing. And this seeing and taking problem is as old as the garden, and it should be no surprise. In Genesis 3... Eve saw, the text says, Eve saw that the forbidden tree was good for food. She desired it, and then what? She took it. Verse 6. In Genesis 6, the heavenly sons of God, the text says, saw the forbidden daughters of man. They found them attractive, and then what? Verse 2. They took them. They took them as they chose. Joshua 7, Achan saw, the text says, among the Jericho spoils, a beautiful cloak, silver, and much gold. He coveted them, and then what? Verse 21, he took them. 2 Samuel 11, most famously, David saw from the rooftop another man's wife. He saw her beauty, as it says, And as we know most famously what in verse 4 stated so bluntly, he sent and took her. Beloved, this is the pattern more. This would be the pathology of stealing. We see, desire, want, covet like Achan. By the way, that is stealing really hatched in the heart. And we will be there in two weeks when we get to the 10th commandment. And you can see already the overlap with that final commandment just like there's overlap with the one before it in adultery, we will see that desire hatched in the heart of stealing. We see, we want, we covet, and then the output we take. That's the reality of theft every time. Now, like all the commands we've examined, especially lately, there is, Westmount, a great temptation here. And again, it's to dismiss this command quickly. And I pray we're learning not to do that in the 10 words, not to dismiss any of them 
so quickly. If we're not careful, though, we can look at a command like this and say, well, at least, you know, I'm not a thief. I'm not a thief. Again, consider all the ways that we seek to dodge God's law. I would submit to you, if that is a knee-jerk reaction, all the more we need to search our heart. And we need to consider the ways we seek to evade God's law. And before we relegate this command to the big things, the grand thefts, the crimes, let's pause for a moment and consider a few essential realities that are right here embedded in this eighth commandment. Number one, the word that God uses for steal. Look at verse 15. The word God uses for steal in the original language here is again a very specific word. This is the beauty of God's word. He's very precise with what he's articulating to us. God could have used other words to communicate theft and stealing, but he used this particular one. And why is that important? This word God used points to stealing in stealth. This is without consent. This is deceit. And by the way, there's your overlap with the ninth commandment. So here it is. There is no such thing as secret borrowing here. And I think we're all very familiar with that. This is when my neighbor doesn't know that I'm taking this, but you know what? He's going to be fine with it. My neighbor doesn't know, but he will truly be fine with it. And sometimes you need to tell yourself that twice and three times to really convince yourself that he's going to be okay with it. My company doesn't know that I'm taking this from the office, but you know they're very big, and this is nothing. It's like a drop in the ocean. They don't know, but it's okay. Listen, if you're taking in secret, regardless of who or where you are stealing, you are stealing. If you're that confident that it's going to be okay... What? Ask. If you're that confident that they're okay with you taking it, ask them. And thereby make it lawful. Two, stealing is defined by God and not by man. In our day and age, we need to really grasp this stealing like all of the moral law, all of the divine cosmic laws, defined by God, not by man. And what are we saying here? Case in point is the stealing of another man's wife or woman's husband. Did you know that our society today has no real law against adultery? Right? They're not pulling anyone out, stoning them, charging them for committing adultery. I mean, there used to be some years ago, like all things, but it's dissipated. Our society now has no law. You can cheat on your wife and you don't have to fear prison. You won't even receive a criminal record for cheating on your spouse. And that's because criminal records are reserved for those really committing crimes, like hosting a church service. (laughs) No church, we don't look to Caesar. We don't look to Caesar, the government, to define stealing for us. Just like we don't look to Caesar to define what church should be, especially in these walls. God defines Not Caesar, not man. So just because there's no law against some forms of theft doesn't mean it's justified. Consider another. Maybe you're like me and my family. We cringe at those excessive interest gouging shops every time you drive by one. They're legal. And they gouge the down and out. It's gross. 
There's no law against excessive interest, gouging those with little money. Yet God's law is crystal clear that such a practice is wrong. In fact, did you know God's law has a lot to say about interest, period? Many places confirm this. Leviticus, Proverbs, even later in Exodus, we'll get to one of those. Listen, God's word says such money lending, such greedy money lending for gain is wrong. But Caesar says it's legal. Yet again, there's no criminal law against that, as we just said. Instead, that kind of sin is flourishing. Beloved, God's word defines all kinds of theft that would be legal today. Again, just give you one more. Consider the aspect of unequal weights and measures in the marketplace. The inflated prices today. That seems to be the order of the day, right? Many people are talking about how much everything costs. And is this right? Can they do that? Well, that's what man may say, but listen to what God says. Proverbs 20.10 says that unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike, listen to this, an abomination to the Lord. Listen, abomination is a big word, but I'll tell you one thing it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean it's okay. Theft tolerance brings us to another important clarification with theft. Three, there's the theft that may have a law, but here it is, we're okay with evading it we wouldn't tell people about this but we're just okay with dodging it and by we yes sadly we do mean we god's people some unfortunately in fact just the other day someone professing christ and i need to preface not at this church someone professing christ had no problem telling me this that their granddaughter was working under the table that's exactly what they said and they're very Thrilled with the endeavor. Cash job, they said, no receipt given, and they were very happy about that. It all means the same thing. However you say it, under the table, cash job, and more, it's all the same act. It is theft. It's theft. It is taking something that is not yours. Just like, yes, tax evasion is. Tax evasion is. Yes, cheating on one's tax return. Church, do not equate Tax gymnastics with shrewdness. Don't do that. No, tax evasion is sin, plain and simple. Listen, you know me at this point, I pray. I understand governments spend money on all kinds of things that we wouldn't agree with. Is that not true? They do that. I'm with you. But that's not our concern. They will answer to God for that, right? Those ways that they spend the money. God, listen, will only look to you. On that day, you can't point to Caesar in light of your theft and say, well, you know, no, God will look to you. And he won't give you a pass because of your tax theft, because the government implemented a program or built a road that you didn't agree with. No, you shall not steal. Look at it. Verse 15, you shall not steal. Get a receipt. Pay the tax you owe. Do business with integrity. And by the way, I, I have to say this. Pains often to say it. That's how you stand out. Cash jobs are the way of Babylon in the world, are they not? Not so with you. I know when I was an unbeliever, when I came across someone that did economy this way, I said, what is with that? That's how you stand out. You're not people of theft. You're people of integrity. And you stand out and you leave a pebble in the shoe of people that do the economy of theft, not you. Not you. 
Finally, four, stealing refers to the act itself, not the possible result. In ancient civilizations like Sparta, like many cultures even today, was talking to a missionary that visited with us recently, you know that, and they were sharing this as well. Many cultures, ancient and modern, stealing is only wrong if you get caught. You know what I mean? It's only a thing if you get caught, so just don't get caught. Ultimately, it's about not bringing shame or honor to your family. So no one has an issue with the act of stealing per se unless you get caught. Then it's a really big deal. Why? Because you've brought shame. Now, church, listen, that can sound so other-cultured, but remember, that is what is at the heart here, the external. And we've looked at this so often in the Ten Commandments, have we not? This really can be our plague. Just present well. Just present well. It doesn't matter the means. It's all about the end. What do people think of me? And listen to me. Getting caught with your hand in the cookie jar just doesn't present well, does it? Getting caught just looks bad. And in this case, that really is what is feared. Getting caught by man. Looking bad in front of others. And here it is. Fearing man. And that external focus is one where we can fool ourselves with. And it sounds an awful lot like people we've also peeked into. Is that not true? And you know them in the first century as the Pharisees. We've looked at them over and over these past few weeks with murder and with adultery. What was their preeminent concern? Present well. Outside, external. Remember, it was all about what was on the outside with them, how they looked with their hands in the marketplace, but not so with Christ. And listen, following Christ, that's not the way. It's not that way with his followers. The new covenant affirmation of this commandment, listen, is all over the New Testament. Let me just give you a few. Matthew nineteen eighteen. you know this particular individual where Jesus confronted him, at least initially, with his law. One rich young man, he affirmed that stealing is still part of God's law. No new covenant did away with that. Romans 2.21, in the context of the moral law written on everyone's heart, right there in Romans 2 is the understanding that we all know that stealing is wrong. Romans 13.9, in the context of government's duty to uphold God's law, which is always interesting when you go to Romans 13 these days, isn't it? And the whole point of Romans 13 is this, and I need to pause to remind everyone. Caesar, government, upholding what? A really good standard that they think will help people? No, to uphold God's law. That's the argument Paul is making in Romans 13. Is the authority upholding the law of God? If so, we submit to them. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that thieves, listen to this, 1 Corinthians 6, thieves will not what? Inherit the kingdom of God. And on that note, we're reminded stealing is the characteristic of the ungodly. In fact, Jesus reminded us so. Remember in John 10.10, what did he say? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. According to Jesus, stealing equals killing and destroying. 
I ask you, is stealing serious? Absolutely. Beloved as such, that's not you. Christian, that's not you. That's not you. Stealing is not who the child of God is in Christ. That's not who you are. The reality of theft has, to say it bluntly, no place with your position and union in Christ, which brings us conveniently to our second heading. We looked at the reality of theft, and now we'll look at the remedy for theft. And again, we're reminded here, if it were not for the gospel, if it were not for the work of Jesus Christ, if it were not for him, we would be hopeless, pitiful, seeing and taking creatures. Is that not true? And that is because outside of Christ, there is absolutely no hope for the thief. The thief steals and the thief will die. That's it outside of Jesus Christ. There's nothing but the economy of seeing, taking, fighting, and dying. That's it. But not so with Christ. Hallelujah. We've already remarked on 1 Corinthians 6. Turn there. Turn there. 1 Corinthians 6. So important. Again, let's look at this. Again, the, the, the bad set against the good, always so stark. Of course, we don't need much of an on-ramp to the Corinthian congregation. They had issues. We've talked about that, Westmount. They were prone to old ways. They were prone to ways of the world. And certainly there were many thieves in the congregation at Corinth. In fact, as by way of, again, just an entry point to this passage that we're going to read, Verse 8 tells us that in in chapter 6, Paul is addressing the fact that they're fighting amongst each other, presumably about property. Some sort of thing has been taken from another. And look at this in verse 8. But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Westmont, what I want us to see here before we read this passage is that in Corinth, in a church of God, they're stealing and defrauding from each other. And what does Paul say to this new covenant community? Let's continue reading in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And again, we stop for a moment there. It would be a pathetic circumstance, not to imagine tragic if it ended there. Could you imagine that's not much of a help, Paul, to the Corinthian group? But he keeps going in verse 11. And such were, previously, some of you. But now what, Paul? But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Do you see? Do you see? Paul says, such were some of you. Oh, Christian, grab it this morning. You are thieves no longer in Christ. Now, now, no longer because you repented of your theft. Now, because of your belief in Messiah, belief in Christ and his giving work, to take your penalty, to bear the wrath of God, as we've already said this morning. Because he did that 
to take your place. Now because that finished work washed you, because of that perfect work, it sanctified you. Now because you are a new creation, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, now by the Spirit of God you are not only forgiven, praise the Lord, but you are no longer enslaved to your old ways of living like theft. That's glorious, Westmount. That's just glorious. You're no longer in bondage to the old way. And that is only because of Christ. And listen, only because of Christ can the thief live and live rightly, no longer stealing. Incredible. Because he no longer sees and takes. That's not the pattern anymore of his life. The pattern of his life is no longer seeing and taking, seeing and taking. Know that once thief now has new desires born out of a new regenerated heart. A beating heart. A heart with a Savior and the Spirit of God in it. That wants to live God's way and instead of stealing, wants to actually earn his keep. This is illustrated so pointedly in the passage that Gabe read for us this morning. Turn there to Ephesians. You need to see this picture. So fitting when we look at a commandment like this. Remember, we've been, Jerry's been walking us through the book of Ephesians. And he's been spending time in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And it's all about what? Who we are in Christ, the reality of the gospel. We were no longer on the outside, but now we're on the inside. In fact, we're in Christ. In fact, think to chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. That's the glories of the gospel, is it not? You were once there, but now you're here in Christ. You're no longer dead in your trespasses and sins. So, again, we've been walking through this. But as the book turns, the hinge, by the way, from the theology to the then practice or the implications of practice comes in chapter 4. And by way of a brief survey of this fourth chapter, look at this in verse 1 of chapter 4. I therefore, so this is after all gospel in the first three chapters, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, so this is you, Christian, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So good. And then verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Implications there is, you're in Christ. That's not the way you walk now. That's not who you are. And then, of course, it culminates with this. Look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. As Paul unveils all the practical implications for communication, for love, for harsh words, he comes here to thieves. And the implication for the thief is you don't, you don't steal any longer. You're not a thief anymore. The remedy for this former thief, here it is, is not goods redistribution from others. Do you see that? It's not, you know what Christ has come to do? We can Robin Hood this thing. That's not what we see in the text. It's not a program for the thief to benefit from other people's hard work. That's not the remedy in Christ. This is not giving him a pass or putting a label on him because you know he's just so hard done by. Look, hear me, church. There is a time for charity, and I pray we're the most charitable of people. Amen? We're charitable. 
But charity is never designed when it comes to sinful reformation to be long-term. Because sooner or later, that charity turns into enablement. Enablement. Enablement is nothing of the gospel. Enabling thieves is not the stuff of gospel reformation. In fact, the Bible, I think of Proverbs, says that that's foolishness. It's foolishness. New Testament says it too. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10, Mark this, says, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. No, beloved, salvation in Christ means you no longer steal, but here it is, you give honest work. I absolutely love hearing the testimonies of reformed convicts that are coming out and actually working for the first time. Have you read them and you know of them? And what do they say? They say, there's nothing like it. I earned my keep today. Listen, that's better than any good we can place in their mouth. An ethic, an ethic that flows from Christ. I worked hard today. And you know what? For the first time in my life, I earned my keep today. That's the economy of the one that created him. That's the economy of God. And that is your picture. That's the remedy for theft. But before you leave this picture, look again at verse 28, because we don't want to miss this. Especially the so that. Remember all of these little verbal cues in verses at the end of the verses, so that. Look again at verse 28. Let me read it in full again. Let the thief... No longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That is amazing, isn't it? We've come a long way, thief. See that this once thief now has something of his own. This thief has private property. Isn't that incredible? That's right, he has his own possessions. In fact, he has property to protect in the community. Westmount, that's full circle. But more than that, look carefully now, look carefully. He's not only a new creation, but now he's walking in a manner worthy of his calling in Christ. Verse 1. As such, in Christ, he's no longer one who sees and takes, but is a follower of Jesus Christ. Like Christ is Lord, He's not one that sees and takes, he's one that gives. He's one that gives. Yes, he's not interested in just owning his stuff now. That would be a benchmark, right? He owns his own stuff, he fills his silos, that would be a benchmark. No, but now in Christ, look at his heart. He gives, he gives, he shares with anyone in need. This is beautiful. Do you see the heart change? And by the way, there's your charity, right? With the redeemed New creation, living charitably. His desire is not to steal and take. His desire now is to share and give. And church, don't miss this heart change is more than just making it right. Do you see that? This is more than just making it right. Yes, restitution is warranted for those that steal from another. And that's another practical message, by the way, what restitution looks like. Should at least come that in Exodus you see various amounts for restitution. You'll see a twofold, a fourfold, a fivefold. That's all in the Old Testament law. Of course, famously Zacchaeus in Luke 19 gave back fourfold, and many use that as a benchmark. Again, that's for another time. But the idea of restitution, far from specifics, the principle of restitution is all over God's word. So we know that. 
The application is important and varied for a variety of cases, no doubt. However, more than that, the point here in verse 28 of Ephesians 4 looks beyond restitution to renewal. This is a walk that has been saved, yes, saved. A walk that's making it right with those wronged, yes. And think about it, that's an achievement, right? Those two steps. But that's not all. It doesn't sit there like we're back to neutral. It's not neutral, but it's new. A walk that is no longer taking but giving. And here it is again, a walk that's in step to the character of the one that redeemed him, that purchased him from that theft. And who is that? It's a benevolent God, a generous God, a giving God who saved the thief from eternal death. By what? And we know this, Christian. He saved that thief so that he could go and do this by giving the thief, right? By giving the thief hope through his son, Jesus Christ, through his giving work. And that act of love, that supreme giving set against stealing of man, That supreme giving is our only hope after death. That's it. There is no other hope. And that love is our ongoing model in this life. As we too, Christian, we too, beloved saint, walk in the newness of life in Christ. So to us. We too, beloved. No matter what you've stolen in your life, If you've repented and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you too, like this man, can walk on property, share with those in need, not because of you, but because of the sovereign grace of Christ and what he has done through you. Westmount, may it continue to be for us by the grace and mercy of our Lord alone. Father, we thank you for this text, so important for us in this day as we consider all the different ways we rob from you. And God, we pray that you would renew us, wash us, Lord, in light of your revealed word to us this morning, as we seek to understand, Lord, at a level, God, that we can now, with the mind of Christ, God, please press into our souls deeply so that we can go out and live this newness of life in Christ. God, we beg you, in the name of Christ Jesus, our mediator and savior, we pray. Amen.